0: Emily, I am glad you're here. This is season eight, and we're devouring Austin, all things Austin. We started with Pride and Prejudice, skipped on to Emma, and then in our last episode, we explored my favorite, Persuasion. Today, we're moving on to Mansfield Park, Jane Austen's third published novel. The first edition was published by Thomas Edgerton in 1814, selling out within six months, and then a second edition by John Murray in 1816. It wasn't actually reviewed until 1821 after her death. It's often considered the most serious of all her novels. It was received well by her readers, but reading through critiques, it's interesting to see how opinions have changed depending on when they were being read. Many reviewers praised her, quote, deep moral strength up until the 1950s, and then in the 70s, the conversation turned to a feminist lens and kind of post-colonial criticism. They talk about slavery quite a bit in the book. In the 80s, there was a shift focusing on the story's conservative morality, they said, and then at the beginning of the 21st century, readers had chosen to dive into each character's psychological lives. Just another resounding applause to Austin's legacy a woman a woman without fortune found something she loved doing and she was brave enough to share that something with the world and 200 years later people are still talking about her and her work and I kind of as I was reading through those critiques and trying to piece all of those things together all of those criticisms and reviews to what I know of the book and have read I wondered what she would have thought about all of that what kind of conversations she would have been having? What kind of conversations she did have with Sir Walter Scott at Abbotsford? That just, would she have believed that what she was writing would have this kind of staying power that would still be talked about today? In case you're not familiar, a quick summary of Mansfield Park. At the age of 10, Fanny Price is sent away from her home in Portsmouth to live with her aunt in the Northamptonshire northamptonshire <laughs> northamptonshire country got it there we go fanny's mother married a man she loved but that was not a man a means and the family lived in poverty it was believed that fanny would have stood a better chance of life if she got out of portsmouth when she arrives at the bertram's estate because she's going to stay with her aunt Ber- lady bertram Known as Mansfield Park, she meets Sir Thomas Bertram, his eldest son, Tom, the soft-spoken Edmund, and the two sisters, Mariah and Julia, all of which are older than Fanny, and not especially kind except for Edmund. Fanny also meets Mrs. Norris, another aunt who is the wife of the clergyman at Mansfield at the Mansfield parsonage, and very unpleasant to say the least um she is intent on making Fanny feel small, feel other a lot of ways, not good enough for the Bertram family. So we're going to fast forward several years. Fanny is still at Mansfield, but now Mrs. Norris is widowed and visiting more often. So... Making life more difficult for Fanny every day. Not long after, Sir Thomas leaves for his plantation in Antigua and takes his son Tom along. During his absence, Mariah becomes engaged to a Mr. Rushworth, a wealthy man, but not particularly bright. And all seems well until Mansfield Park receives some visitors, Henry Crawford and his sister Mary, who have recently left the sophistication of London to visit a half sister. They bring some excitement to Mansfield Park, and soon Mary is flirting with Edmund and Henry is flirting with everybody, (laughs) with both Mariah and Julia. Um, And then Tom returns from Antigua, and he's, you know, not on a bender, but he's just, he's antsy, and he thinks hosting a theatrical at Mansfield would be a great idea. Edmund, being a bit of a stick in the mud, doesn't think their father would approve, but eventually gives in when he realizes it means More time with Mary, who is a little peeved at this point that Edmund plans to join the clergy because notoriously clergymen aren't wealthy. Edmund was right, though, and Sir Thomas shows up. He returns back from Antigua as well. He's already in a mood because things did not go well on the plantation, and he pitches a fit, kind of sends everybody away. Henry leaves. Mariah decides to marry Reshworth. She thought that Henry was in love with her, but when he leaves, she gets mad and just decides to marry this man. And Sir Thomas starts to see what he called improvements in Fanny. Um, He realizes that she's growing up. Then Henry comes back and decides to make Fanny fall in love with him. This is his new project, and Mary is all on board for that. Sir Thomas decides it's a perfect time for a coming-out ball for Fanny so that she can be introduced into society. And we're going to speed things up a bit here. <laughs> Edmund is crushed when Mary tells him that she— so they dance at this coming-out ball, and Mary tells him this is the last time they will ever dance together because she will never dance with a clergyman. Henry proposes to Fanny. Fanny refuses, so Sir Thomas sends her home to Portsmouth to try to shame her into marrying him. Henry visits Portsmouth, and Fanny starts to reconsider. She starts to see some of his good qualities, but then it comes out that Henry had actually had an affair with the married Mariah rushworth files for divorce tom ends up getting really sick so edmund goes to portsmouth to get fanny and he rushes her back to mansfield park because he thinks she can help with tom and when she returns home sir thomas welcomes her back kind of tail between his legs because he realizes that she made the right choice choosing not to marry henry edmund finally then at that time gets to see mary's true nature she comes to mansfield park um, after the the gossip of henry and mariah kind of hit the town and what are we going to do how are we going to save the situation and she confesses to edmund that her only regret is that henry and mariah got caught that she didn't regret the adultery at all which then kind of really turns him off of mary edmund and fanny then kind of confess their feelings for one another get married the end it was very rushed at the <laughs> very rushed at the end The critics were right. It's not one of her wittiest, humorous works. It's another interesting look at family dynamics with a lot of social hierarchy, thoughts on the clergy and slavery mixed in. So in Antigua, Sir Thomas owns slaves. They are not treated especially well. While Tom is in Antigua, he kind of sees what's going on um, and does not like it. So when he returns home, those kind of theatricals and what he goes in, you know, goes into town and starts to kind of live it up, it's all as kind of a smack in the face to his father because he's just upset with him and what's going on in the plantations. You also see that Sir Thomas is not the most stand-up of guys um, because of what he's allowing to happen down there and what he's actually participated in. So through that, you do see a lot of Austen's feelings about slavery as well, about social hierarchy. So it's just, it's not a riotous good time. And while today's list would probably be better suited for a later episode when we explore Shannon Hale's Ode to Austin, Austin Austinland, which is one of my favorite goofy romantic comedies, I'm sticking it here because I feel for Fanny, a woman who's just forced to ride the whims of others she's sent away as a small child she's living with a family she doesn't know none of them except for one guy particularly seems to like her then it's assumed that she will just marry this man that proposes to her even though he turns out not to be a good guy if there's just a lot she doesn't get to make choices for herself so we today we're discussing a few reasons why i would never survive in an austin story reason number one This list could really stop at one thing. thing. It's a very important thing, an absolute deal breaker, line in the sand. When you see that line, you just turn around and you walk the other way. Don't even walk next to it, not even parallel to it, full stop. I could never marry my cousin or look at my cousin romantically. Let me be clear. It doesn't matter where on the family tree that happens, how far removed. And it's it's just wrong, and it is definitely a recurring theme in Austin. Elizabeth Bennett and Mr. Collins in Pride and Prejudice, Anne Elliot and Mr. Elliot in Persuasion. So they I didn't mention that in the last episode. So while she's visiting Lyme with the Musgroves and Captain Wentworth, they come across this very dashing man, only to find out it's this kind of estranged cousin who had a tiff with her father um, because her father knew that since he did not have any sons this Mr. Elliot, this nephew, was going to inherit Inch Hall, Um, And so now Mr. Elliot is trying to weasel his way back into the family, and he discovers that that Mrs. Clay that they had taken to bath with them uh, might have her eyes set on the older Mr. Elliot, so he's going to try to step in between them because he wants to inherit the estate so he's willing to marry his cousin to flirt with his cousin to make this happen and here we are with Fanny Price and Edmund Bertram in Mansfield Park even worse because they were raised together like siblings mostly the bertrams made sure that fanny knew her place but still like siblings <laughs> so it's just it's it's so not cool it is one of my least incest is one of my least if not my least favorite Literary trope. Just in zero circumstances does that seem like an okay thing. And people try, authors try to like sneak it in, like, no, no, it's not so bad. Even when it's like siblings, one is adopted and so they are not blood, it is still wrong. That is your brother. <laughs> maybe when they're 25 and a father gets remarried, maybe, but still that seems weird to me that you would share parents. I just, oh, can't. I can't so that's reason number one reason number two following closely behind incest is the expectation of women to marry for money and i know it is just the time period that jane austen was living in another consistent theme throughout social hierarchy and how it ruins lives fanny gets shipped off to live with her more affluent aunt because her mother chose to marry for love that is what basically the statement is which was the wrong choice for Mrs. Price because it left her destitute with too many children. And then when Fanny refuses the proposal of Henry Crawford, which was an all-around great life choice, she's a smart girl, her uncle sends her back home as a punishment to remind her of that particular folly. Look where you could be. Dirt poor, maybe living with the man you love, but with too many kids and unable to put food on the table. Is that a horrible scenario? Yes, it is. But they can't even see the importance of liking the person you're marrying, which does not turn out great for his daughter, Mariah, who was, you know, married to Rushworth, who she thought was stupid. Look how miserable, you know, she's saying, look how miserable your mother's life is. We also get Mary Crawford attempting to dissuade Edmund from entering the clergy because that's a poor man's job. And Mariah Bertram, you know again marrying Rushworth, who, according to the Wikipedia summary, and I just found this hilarious, is rich but weak willed and considered <laughs> stupid i I hold nothing against these women though the ones that married for love or the ones that married for money. they were working within the confines of a society that was actively actively subjugating them i it's just it's so sad, <laughs> just makes me so sad. As for me, I would have just found the whole thing exhausting, too. I'm pretty sure I would have chosen just to be an old spinster, a decision I could make for myself, content with my little home instead of a home with my cousin. I would be okay in a little cottage. I would hate to be told what to do and that's always even in today's society driven me nuts a little bit. I am a single woman and I and I choose this life. Not that I wouldn't be happily married one day if the right gentleman came along, but for society to tell me that I have failed as a woman because I am not married and I don't have kids makes me almost actively want to work against that because I am stubborn I am a very stubborn girl um, so it's just you see remnants of that still out there as if independent women can't be successful and sadly in that time they couldn't because marriage is an economic proposition there's this scene in Greta Gerwig's Little Women that came out in 2019 a movie which I love I love so much. I think Greta Garwick is a genius. And I always hated Amy March. So I just, I did not like her. She just was conceited and annoying. But Florence Pugh does it so well that she's having a conversation with Laurie and he's, you know, telling her, so she's kind of being wooed by this gentleman. He's, he's saying, you can't marry him. You know, you should marry for love. And she's like, you. you can't tell me that because marriage is not, you know, hopefully you will like the person that you love, but it is an economic proposition because I can't make money on my own. Even if I could, I wouldn't be able to support enough for my kids. Once I married, my kids are not my own. They are my husband's. It's just a beautiful speech that lasts 30 seconds that has just stuck with me. Um, Beautifully said and just absolutely fresh. You just feel for women at that time. And to think that Jane Austen, again, she, it just it, It's hard to wrap your brain around the fact that this woman, who was never married, who um had to have her brothers take her manuscripts to the publishers because they would not have published a book by a woman, that we are still talking about her stuff today. It's just, it's amazing. I got off track. Number three, family is a difficult thing. I can't imagine being ripped away from my home, my parents, my siblings at the age of 10 to live with relatives I didn't know. And that not only see me as a burden, but beneath them. Lady Bertram was kind enough, but Lady Norris, the other aunt who was a widow, definitely had her own feelings of inadequacy. And she kind of chose them, chose to put them all on Fanny. Thank goodness she did Had have edmund to show her some kindness and compassion it's just a shame that she couldn't have just stopped there and you see this again over and over and over in austin's novels parents who are overbearing sometimes for the good of the child you think of mrs bennett and pride and prejudice and she's a lot she has her flutters and she's kind of spastic about her daughters getting married but it was because she needed them to get married she wanted the best for them and she knew that if they didn't they were going to be destitute once mr bennett died but then you have you have Anne Elliot's family, who are so conceited and just kind of look over her. They don't even see her when it, she's in a room. They don't, you know, think it's worth talking to her. You think of when we get to Sense and Sensibility, how um, though, Eleanor and Marianne and Margaret's brother is from a, a different woman. It's a half brother that he would allow them kind of to be pushed into poverty to be swayed by his wife and then they're and they did okay luckily they you know as we'll see they they were at the mercy of the kindness of somebody who was genuinely kind but how how family could treat you that way could leave you you know with nothing there's some good families too when we get to North Angry Abbey Catherine's family is fantastic but it's just These dynamics are so hard, especially when that social hierarchy gets in the way. And finally, number four, boredom. I would not have survived Austin's time because of pure boredom. I probably would have taken a lot of walks like Elizabeth just to get out of the house. No wonder they wanted to mix things up a bit in Mansfield Park with a theatrical in the living room. (laughs) Can you imagine embroidery all day long? I like crafting but I have a relatively short attention span. Routine is great, but redundancy is the worst. It drives me bonkers. I wouldn't have even been surprised if I had gone off on the deep end like Tom. I mean, Tom had other issues, like a dad that has slaves in Antigua, but the family pressures teamed with tedium could push anyone to their limits. Now that I'm thinking about it, I have a little more grace for Henry and Mary Crawford. They are most definitely gold diggers, But they also seem to just be looking for a bit of excitement. Henry deciding that he's going to make Fanny fall in love with them. Mary kind of mixing things up and stoking the fire when Tom returns and wants to do the, the theatrical. You know, it's I get that wanting that excitement. And especially if you're outside of the London season or the bath season, I could see how it would be kind of hard to go to your country home where nothing is really happening unless it's like Bridgerton and they're doing that Paul Mall with the croquet. That would be kind of that would be kind of fun. I think what's so hard is that we are seeing which it's not like we can time travel to go back to the regency era but everyone seems so poised at all times, so stuffy, so proper and and you wonder though if they loosened up and did play games and acted foolish and I'm sure they did. Uh, but as we'll see in um Austin Land, the Regency era may not be all it's cracked up to be. Oh, that was it. Those are my four reasons. <laughs> I've been thinking about this a lot. That I just I'm glad I live when I live, even though we have our own troubles and our own pressures and our own um confines that society puts on us and freedoms that are taken away constantly. Uh it's it's just it's interesting to think of yourself living in a different time. The two adaptations I'm familiar, familiar with are actually very different than one another. My favorite is the 1999 film starring Francis O'Connor as Fanny Price, Johnny Lee Miller, he's back in another one, as Edmund Bertram, Hugh Bonneville from Downton Abbey as the stupid Mr. Rushworth, M. Beth Davids as Mary Crawford, Alessandro Nivolo as Henry, and James Purifoy as Tom. James Purifoy played... um. The prince in A Knight's Tale. Just, I really, we're going to have to, I cannot believe that I have not talked about it. Talk, I have not, oh, I'll get it out. That I have not talked about A Knight's Tale yet. Or Heath Ledger, really. What's wrong with me? We're going to have to get to that, man. Uh, but he, I just have always loved him. He plays these little roles. You don't see him a lot. Like he's never really, really the star of anything. But he plays amazing supporting characters the movie was written and directed by patricia rosema she's done some tv work but also wrote gray gardens which is a fascinating and sad and disturbing story i stumbled on that one by accident i didn't know anything about the reclusive edith beals and their kind of derelict mansion if you have not heard of this story or watched either the documentary because there was one or the retelling that had drew barrymore in it um and jessica lang i do believe please do please do because you'll just sit there with your jaw open and you will be so sad but so fascinated at the same time about these two women who came from society um and then you know kind of became agoraphobic they never left their house and the house started to just crumble around them but crazy enough they were related to Jackie Onassis it just blow your mind um I don't know what the budget for the nineteen ninety nine film was, but it made eighty five thousand dollars its opening weekend and over four million worldwide. So it did ok, definitely. i'm I'm sure it earned back its its budget. It absolutely takes some liberties with the story. Fanny is more confident and outspoken. She's lyrical and imaginative. They actually have her sit in for Austin using some of the author's actual letters. and, Um, At one point, Austin wrote a children's history of England. So they have Fanny writing like that. I, I think that's why I like it. While Fanny might not have social autonomy, she has autonomy of thought. She likes education and reading and writing and develops a voice for herself. So the whole movie is basically from Fanny's point of view, which I thought was very interesting. And I like all the actors in the movie. The BBC television adaptation that came out in 2007 uh, features a much tamer Fanny Price, played by Billy Piper. If you're a Doctor Who fan, you've probably loved her as Rose. Oh, her and, and Ten. Oh my goodness, just love them. She's almost submissive in this version, version which might have been closer to the original, but makes her kind of boring, which was maybe the point I don't know one thing that stays the same throughout though is that mrs norris is the absolute worst i just don't see how you treat a child that way a child that's been ripped from her home you have you have an opportunity to be a comfort in miss norris mrs norris is just not but that is it for today we'll be back next week with conversations on sense and sensibility in northanger abbey then a final week on her unfinished work and a recent BBC series, Sandton, and a Trip to Austin Land. Thank you so much for listening. Really, it's so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so that we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time... It would really be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you listen so that other people who like random conversations about pop culture, it just helps them find the podcast too. Or if you would like to share the podcast, that would be awesome. You can grab the social media posts that I do each week when an episode releases, um, or you can hop on and do a screenshot of wherever you're listening. There's lots of different ways you can do that. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook is a bit of fun with Emily. Go so have yourself a bit of fun today. And I will see you next